Hello, I'm Paco Alvarez, and this is The Backstory from Type Investigations, where we sit down with our reporters and ask them to take us behind the scenes of their work. In her newest investigation, Against the Sea of Troubles, produced in partnership with Mother Jones, reporter Amelia Schombeck looked into the toxic culture of misogyny and abuse in the maritime industry. Through FOIAs and conversations with women workers and advocates, Amelia found that sexual misconduct is rampant in the merchant marine, but the Coast Guard rarely receives reports of incidents. In this conversation, we talked to Amelia about how she familiarized herself with the inner workings of the Merchant Marine and the Coast Guard, how she developed her sources, and how reporting on sexual misconduct has changed over the past few years. Uh, my first question is, uh, what initially inspired the investigation? So I was reporting on sexual misconduct more broadly and looking for a piece I was doing looking at sexual misconduct just in in jobs and industries that in the first wave of Me Too coverage just hadn't gotten a ton of attention. And I was talking to a lot of women who worked construction jobs. And in those conversations, they were sort of like, if you really want to see an industry that just hasn't received a lot of attention and that has pretty rugged working conditions, you should look offshore at the Merchant Marine. And so I started kind of just searching around and really could find almost no information at that point about the industry in general and women's place within it and their working conditions. And I just started getting really curious and that's where it began. Your reporting is partially based on conversations with women who had experienced sexual abuse and harassment in the Merchant Marine. Uh, How did you develop your sources and how did you get them to trust you to tell their stories? So, yeah, this was initially really, really hard. I think I did a few big waves of reporting. The first wave I did, I just did a ton of like LinkedIn sort of like cold calling people based on sort of finding in their LinkedIn profiles that they had attended the United States Merchant Marine Academy or other sort of training schools and just was sending people, you know, a sort of like series of outreach emails saying that I really wanted to talk with them about sexual misconduct offshore. And almost nobody wrote back. You know, the offshore world sort of, Unlike the military, which had kind of, you know, a moment where there was a lot of focus on sexual misconduct within that world. And like the Merchant Marine sort of evaded that. And even during the first wave of Me Too coverage, there was very little openness um, within the industry. And so I think even when I started reporting, which was you know, a few years after Me Too, a lot of people were really hesitant to say anything. And then I went back and did another big round of reporting. Again, like reaching out to people sort of through LinkedIn. Also, there were at that point some Facebook groups that were gathering places for women offshore and contacting people and said nothing about sexual misconduct specifically, but just said, I want to just talk with you about the experience of being a woman and working in this world. And then like everybody actually wanted to talk. And it was really interesting because, and I think this gets to what 
you asked about trust building, like I just started talking to people really generally about their sort of day-to-day experience. And, you know, the merchant marine is unlike almost any other workplace in that you're most of the time working sort of three or four months long rotations, which are called hitches. And so you're just on a boat kind of living with your coworkers. You have very little, I mean, this has changed a little bit with the internet, but for a long time, there was like very little ability to communicate with people who were on land. So you were super isolated. And so everybody kind of just wanted to talk and like process about their day to day. And kind of inevitably in those early conversations, you know, I would talk to people for like 45 minutes or an hour and they would kind of have been saying like, "Eh, I haven't really experienced sexual misconduct. I haven't really experienced harassment. But then they would tell me a story like toward what I thought was going to be the end of a conversation that didn't necessarily yield anything that was really intense. And so it was almost like people were not necessarily able to say that they had experienced harassment or abuse, but then they would describe something that was very clearly harassment or abuse. And so I think the trust building happened just by sort of being willing to spend a lot of time on the phone with people. And I was really interested about their lives. And I think they sort of realized that I was genuinely curious. And yeah, I think just leaving a lot of space for once I, once I realized that the conversations were kind of often unfolding this way, I just left a lot of space for people to get comfortable and share whatever was going to come up. And I think with a, a lot of sources, I also talked to them you know, kind of kept going back a few times. And I think when people realize, oh, this person is actually interested in having some sort of ongoing conversation, they don't just want what they want and then are going to dip. For the people who ended up being sort of more foundational parts parts of the reporting, I think that then those conversations, you know, really got much, much deeper and more meaningful as we sort of continued these relationships. Uh, you kind of just uh, touched upon this, but um, so your investigation took place over a couple of years, right? Yeah, there was sort of a long pandemic imposed sabbatical in the midst of it. I had begun the reporting and then when the pandemic happened, it sort of became clear that there were, you know, editors had a lot of priorities that were not long stories that had anything to do with anything else. <laughs> and also the pandemic really changed the lives of a lot of people working offshore. And for a while their work was, you know, people were either stuck on ships, unable to travel because of the pandemic or stuck at home, unable to get to work. So yeah, it just made sense to pause for a while while that was all unfolding. Did your thinking or the focus of your reporting change or evolve during like those few years? Yeah, it definitely did. I think when I started working on the piece, I pitched it very much as a sort of like classic sexual misconduct investigation where in which I would kind of, you know, map the scope of the problem. And I think, you know, as the pandemic has unfolded in every industry, we've been having 
these sort of realizations about the place that work has in our lives. And a lot of people have sort of been renegotiating what is meaningful and and the way that work sort of fits into their life. And I think that that was happening also with people working offshore. I think that the pandemic really clarified a lot of things. And I think that it was really interesting because when I picked the reporting up, I guess probably in 2021, people were wanting to talk a lot more about like broader sort of issues of workplace abuse and toxicity. They were wanting to talk about like burnout and getting ground down and the way that kind of the just like routine presence of misogyny and abuse in their lives was sort of forcing them out of this industry. And I think that the, yeah, the more, I think the focus more broadly beyond sort of like these individual experiences of misconduct into this larger sort of attempt to understand how, yeah, how just being in really rugged, toxic environments kind of pushes people out. That really came into focus, I think, you know, when I'd already done the first couple waves of reporting and then was kind of shaping and framing it. Was the Coast Guard and Merchant Marine something you were familiar with before you started reporting? Not at all. Yeah, I maybe had heard the term Merchant Marine in relation to like the 1940s and you know, the way that people had been mobilized during the world wars. But yeah, I had no idea. I had never even thought about who was taking the things that I like every sort of thing that I touch pretty much in my day-to-day life. I had never thought about how those things were moving from place to place. Um, and now obviously i just see it everywhere you know people like i I, people tell me stories about like traveling on boats and i have all these questions about who was driving them so there's been a big shift uh how did you familiarize yourself with the agency and like the maritime industry in general so i was lucky in that there are a couple really like amazing women's advocacy organizations, one being Women Offshore. And the founder of that organization, a woman named Ali Cedeno, was an early source and somebody who just was extraordinarily generous in explaining and giving a lot of context. I mean, I think also the more I talked to people, the more I was kind of like asking and filling in questions to to make you know, a patchwork of my knowledge. But then I read a lot of sort of like reports about the Merchant Marine. I read some trade magazines for sure. There's a lot, there's actually a surprising amount of like shipping and transportation trade media out there for the true nerds among us. So yeah, I think I would just, I had periods where I was just having a lot of conversations with people and was really fascinated by just this world that I hadn't never really spent time thinking about. And so I was just reading a lot online. The Coast Guard piece of it sort of came a little bit later when I started, when my reporting was less like on the ground experiences. And I started thinking a little bit more about the sort of way that the industry is regulated and overseen. And so I had 
some sort of extensive and really helpful background conversations with people working in the Coast Guard that kind of really helped just demystify um, the interconnection between these two worlds. You know, the Merchant Marine is kind of unlike any other institution in the country. And it it just has this very strange place where it's like kind of connected to the military, but not really. And the Coast Guard is connected to it, but also in a way that isn't so clear that I think the, the uncertainty allows the Coast Guard to really pass the buck a lot of the time. And it is like the companies that run these ships are all private companies. They're not actually state run. So yeah, kind of untangling how everything was connected just took a lot of reading and then just like asking people to explain things that still remained obscure. Speaking of the Coast Guard, did you face any pushback from the Coast Guard when you're trying to get information from the agency, either through interviews or through FOIA? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it took me weeks to even figure out how to FOIA for the information that I wanted. I would say I spent a lot of time like trying to reach the the sort of like FOIA administrator and not getting any sort of like clear information about who I should even be directing my request to and then wasn't clear that I'd sent it to the right person. There's sort of the way that the Coast Guard is set up in relation to the Merchant Marine. They're two different and not necessarily related groups of people who investigate different levels of offenses and sexual misconduct isn't super clearly demarcated to one or the other like one one sort of oversight arm will look into certain types of offenses and another will look into um, more serious offenses basically and i wanted to know about both so yeah, I would say that I there was a lot of just muddied waters that nobody seemed very eager to clarify as I was seeking out information. And yeah, and then later when I had a you know a draft of the story that was on the verge of going to press and was trying to just sort of like seek clarification and comment from the Coast Guard, not only on the FOIA, well, also I'll say separately, like the FOIA took an extraordinarily long amount of time to come back and then came back just with, in a sort of somewhat disappointing form. But yeah, then down the line when I was sort of seeking comment, there was just a lot of like, yeah, kind of time wastage and the promise of information, but then not actually giving me any information. So I wouldn't say that they were particularly helpful or interested in the story sort of actually being published, which maybe is not surprising. What sorts of other challenges did you encounter while you were reporting the investigation? You know, I think that a big challenge is just the culture offshore is really, you know, I think I write in the piece, like offshore work is one of the oldest industries, literally like has been around for so very long. And there's this kind of remarkable way in which 
like in some ways the culture has evolved, but in a lot of ways it's just antiquated and there's a lot of secrecy and there's a lot of kind of back channeling and gossip and obviously like the fear that is engendered by that type of culture. So I think that it was just challenging to kind of build trust with people and and also then to like to ask people to go on the record in a context where you know I knew the risks that they were facing and I knew that I you know I was going to do my best to do right by them but also was not able to of course tell anyone that it wasn't going to impact their job if they were to talk with me about their workplace conditions. So yeah, I think that just continuing to walk forward with the story and, you know, kind of like try to get people on the record in in that context was super, super challenging and took just a lot of trust building and intentional work. And I think you know, there were a number of situations where I did a lot of that work and it ended up being that the person just didn't ultimately feel comfortable participating. And so, yeah, I think that 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 was super challenging. And I think also the old boysiness of it all was, was just kind of like hard to cut through. I think all of the institutions that are major parts of offshore work, like the sort of like very old labor unions and the companies who employ people and all of the government sort of bodies that are involved, including the Coast Guard, are, you know, sort of drawing people from this very small world where everyone knows one another and it can feel pretty clubby. And so, yeah, I think just kind of, trying to get in the middle of that and not just be dismissed, but actually get information out of people was, yeah, was challenging in an ongoing way. And my last question uh, is kind of more like general to your reporting, but um, you've done several stories on the consequences or lack thereof of like the Me Too era and like sexual misconduct. How has reporting on sexual misconduct changed over the past few years? The thing that I really see a shift in is the not necessarily the reporting itself, but the willingness of editors to publish these stories. And I'm really grateful to type into the editors I worked with for just being interested in this investigation. And I pitched it for over a year to editors who, you know, almost uniformly were really like encouraging and interested, but also, you know, were pretty clear in sort of saying like, I won't be able to like sell this to my boss. So I think that the bar for publishing a story of sexual misconduct post Me Too has, has actually gotten a lot higher. I think too, something that I've really noticed is that like sources have seen the backlash that those who've come before them have experienced. And 
I think are weighing whether or not to share their experiences in a way that's really different than it was. You know, there was obviously this huge tidal wave right after the Weinstein investigation came out of people wanting to speak. And there were like many like foundationally important things that came out of that moment. And also like the backlash for people was really real. And so I think that finding sources who both want to share their experiences and also just feel sort of confident doing that in this particular media and internet world like that it definitely feels really different than it did a few years ago but it is just like amazing and moving and impressive to me in an ongoing way when people are willing to do that knowing that it's a like deeply ragged experience a lot of the time and even if it shifts things which it doesn't always like just the amount of scrutiny that will be coming to them in their lives is is often um really overwhelming so yeah i'm grateful deeply deeply grateful that people are willing to do it you can read against the sea of troubles at mother jones or the type investigations website check the show notes for a link to the story a transcript of this backstory is available at typeinvestigations.org backstory.